Today's uh, scripture comes from Luke 12, 13 through 21. Here we go. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard, on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this, is your, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Next verse, Luke 12, 32 through 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's God's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give it to the needy. Provide yourselves with the money bags that you do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. That's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Matthew. The context of the passage Matthew just read is this. Jesus has been teaching. And as he's teaching, he's teaching about some really weighty things. He's teaching about eternal life and how the one who confesses him before others, he will confess before our Father in heaven. He goes on to warn about the sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And it's in the context of teaching about these weighty, eternal things that someone in the crowd shouts out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's, it's kind of, it sounds kind of like a kid you know, yelling to mom, tell my brother to share. But Jesus, not seemingly rattled at all by this, takes the opportunity to teach. He begins by saying, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he gives a warning and launches into one of the most convicting yet valuable teachings on our handling of material wealth that we find in the New Testament. One of the first points he makes in his teaching is this. We must carefully guard against covetousness. And he says this, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Strong wording. Be on guard against this as if it's an enemy, an adversary of some type. And spiritually, in fact, it is. Be on guard against greed or against covetousness. The Bible teaches that... Wealth can have a particular power over the human heart. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. seems to have a particular power to uh, control and deceive the human heart. Jesus had told a parable a bit earlier in the Gospel of Luke. And in his parable, he said a sower went out to sow some seed. 
and the seed fell on various kinds of soil. One type of seed fell among thorns, and when the seed uh, took root and sprouted and grew up, it was choked out by the thorns and by the weeds, and no fruit uh, proceeded as a result of that seed. Later, explaining the parable to his followers, he says, the sower sows the word. The seed is the word of God. And these different soils he has described are different conditions of the human heart. And he says the seed sown among thorns is that which is, uh, is choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And so he again gives this warning that wealth, riches of life, along with cares and pleasures of life, can choke out the work of the Word of God and prevent us from bearing fruit in our lives. And we see this throughout the teachings of Jesus. In fact, it's quite remarkable in the Gospel of Luke. If you scan from chapter 8 to chapter 21, how many times Jesus addresses our handling of material wealth. It's quite remarkable. In the Bible, perhaps the, the sin that's most addressed by God would be that of idolatry. This is particularly the case in the New Testament. We find the Israelites, God's chosen people, being warned against worshiping the idols of the surrounding nations. And yet they repeatedly were, were lulled into this worship of these gods of the surrounding nations. We, we read that and we wonder, why were people so drawn to the worship of idols? And it's because in biblical times, as in many places in the world today, there was a belief that idols, like those you see on the screen, had, had power. They had power to provide good weather, or good crops, or fertility, or prosperity almost like an addiction to gambling or something. People felt they had to worship these idols to give them offerings of food or other things. And this was true in biblical times. That's why God, in giving the Ten Commandments, begins this way. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is on, in the heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Two of the first ten commandments have to do with the avoiding of idolatry. Now, we in America may think, well, it's a good thing that we are not so ignorant as to have carved idols like these today. But let's take a look at what the New Testament says about a form of idolatry that is far more subtle than any carved image. The teaching of the Apostle Paul is that covetousness or greed, what we might call love of money, is a form of idolatry. He warns, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor coarse jesting or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. He says the very same thing in Colossians chapter 3, that covetousness, love of money, craving for more wealth and control of it is a form of idol worship, of idolatry. Why is God so concerned about this? Because of its power to capture the devotion of the human heart. When God says, I'm a jealous God, he doesn't want us worshiping some carved image. And likewise, he doesn't want us finding all of our security and placing all of our hope in material wealth. So how do we do what Jesus says? Guard yourselves. Be on your guard against all forms of greed or covetousness. I think the only way to overcome love of money is by giving it away. By having it displaced by a greater love for God, which compels us to give for his honor and for his glory. And it leads us to a second point that Jesus makes as he continues this teaching about being on our guard against covetousness. He continues this with a little parable. And the point he teaches is that we should have a God-first attitude concerning the wealth entrusted to us. Parable Matthew read a moment ago in verses 16 to 21. It's interesting. You'll see it again on the screen. And as we read through it, note the recurrence of the word I or my by the rich man. Jesus told a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I, I, my Maya with no thought of God, no thought of God being the provider of all this stuff, the source of all these things we enjoy. But what's God's response to this type of an attitude toward wealth? But God said to him, fool. Not often God calls somebody a fool. He does in the Old Testament, Psalm 14 and verse 1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And that's the way this man lived, as if there was no God. And all of his wealth was his to control from his own hand, not the hand of God. Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? In other words, you're going to die tonight. And what's going to happen to all your stuff? None of it will go with you. It's going to go to somebody else. This is the biblical teaching. It's very clear. You can't take it with you. While the Bible doesn't say it in those words, the Apostle Paul does write, it is certain that we brought nothing into this world and that we can take nothing out. None of our material wealth goes with us into the life to come. It all stays here. So Jesus then says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In other words, everyone does this is like the rich fool. Sobering words. Well, what's the solution? Jesus says with our wealth, be rich toward God. Have a God-first attitude toward material wealth. Now, throughout the Bible, God taught his people this principle. 
this principle of acknowledging him as provider. In the Old Testament, it's sometimes referred to as first fruits. We see it first with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham goes to, to battle to recover his nephew Lot, who had been taken captive. And in recapturing Lot and his family and bringing them back, he comes back with a whole lot of spoils from the battle. And on the way, he's met by a mysterious priest named Melchizedek. The New Testament will tell us that this priest was actually a, a type, kind of a prefiguring of Jesus Christ. And Abraham gives him a tenth of all, a tithe. And then we see later God commanding this practice of tithing, and the word tithe simply means a tenth, to his people as a way of acknowledging God God is the provider of the 100%. Later, the prophet Malachi would give the instruction, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and test me, God says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you. The book of Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your, first, with your produce and the first fruits of all your increase. And so it's this principle of putting God first, of worshiping God with the first fruits. Why does God do that? Is it because he's so desperate for our money? Of course not. God wants the heart. He wants the devotion of the heart. He wants us to remember that 100% of it comes from him. And an appropriate response is worshiping him. A God-first attitude regarding our wealth. When we trust God as our provider, we can live with less anxiety. Immediately after telling the parable about the rich man, Jesus says this to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. That's what Jesus said earlier person's life doesn't consist in the abundance of their possessions. Life's more than food. The body's more than clothing. Consider the, <clears throat> excuse me, ravens. They neither sow nor reap, <coughs> neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as this, why are you anxious about the rest? It's an interesting thing in the Bible, when, when we read about wrong use of money, we find words like covetousness, greed, worry, anxiety, fool. And yet when we read of right use of material resources in Scripture, we find words like generous, blessed, good works, rich toward God, treasure in heaven. Now, the point of all this is that God wants the devotion of our hearts. And Jesus goes on to stress the point that his followers, as his followers, we are to focus our heart on the seeking of God's kingdom. And he writes, don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink or be worried for all the nations of the world. Seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. I think Jesus is talking about keeping our hearts 
focused on God as provider and the priority of his kingdom and keeping our heart's devotion there so that we don't become like the rich fool and take everything and said, mine, 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 and give no thought to being rich toward God. And again, the reason for this is not that God needs our wealth. God owns everything. It's all his. But he knows that our hearts will follow our treasure. And so Jesus says, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Let me pause for a minute here. When we read about giving in Scripture, the teachings of Jesus and other places, there's often a reference to giving to the poor, giving to the needy. This is one reason in our Beyond Initiative, our leaders have felt drawn to take of the proceeds, pledges received, and use a portion of those to give to those in need beyond the walls of our church and other places. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth de destroys. And here's the principle that it is so important to grasp in this chapter. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is why Jesus teaches so much about our handling of material wealth. And he addresses this in places like his, his various parables and his warnings against covetousness. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. This is why God is telling us to keep our focus on him as our provider and on the work of his kingdom. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. God's concern is for the devotion of our hearts. And he knows that our wealth can have a particular power over the human heart. And that's why he warns us and he calls us to be rich toward God. Now let me say something here. I realize that a number of folks that come to our church are uh, still investigating the faith, investigating the Christian faith. Uh, not everyone is a Christian yet or is at a point of being a follower of Jesus. I want to make something very clear because this, this is a sensitive topic uh, for many people. I want to make it clear that our giving of wealth in no way earns our salvation. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There is absolutely nothing we can do to earn, merit, deserve, or buy the gift of eternal life. We simply receive it by faith. But as we grow in our faith, as God works in our hearts and increases our love for him, one of the ways he calls us to worship is with material wealth to, de to the degree that he provides that for us. And so I want to stress that this morning. And as we come to the end of this passage, I want to suggest three questions by way of personal application. The first one is this. As you reflect on the parable of this rich man and what Jesus said about him and the warning he gave, how would I feel 
if I had to stand before God today and give account for my use of his resources? How would I feel? Jesus really points us to thinking about this when he tells us in his parable, the rich man died when he wasn't expecting to die. And Jesus brings an an, an element of urgency to this issue by saying that. And I think he leads us to ask ourselves, how would I feel if I had to stand before God today? Give an account for my use of his resources. Secondly is this, what's my vision for the use of the wealth God entrusts to me? We often have a vision in life, goals for what we we want to gain materially, prepare for retirement, things like this, and it's wise to plan ahead. I'm not in any way suggesting it's not. But what's my vision for using some of that wealth for the kingdom of God? And keeping my heart focused there. The Apostle Paul dealt with this in the early Christian church. And as you read the writings of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he spends a great deal of time when he writes to the Corinthians, when he writes to the Philippians, when he writes to Timothy. He especially addresses uh, very, very clearly those in the Christian church who have great wealth relative to others. And here's here's what he says to them. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. When we have a lot of wealth, there's a tendency to look down on other people who don't have quite as much. And there's also a temptation to put our hope there, find our security there. So this is the, the direction of the Apostle Paul, charge those who are, are rich in this life not to be haughty nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. He brings us back to God as the source of our wealth, of our riches, of our abundance. And God has no problem with our enjoying it. He says God richly provides us all things to enjoy. And then he gives them the the what-to-do guidance. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In other words, as Jesus said in the parable of the rich man, be rich toward God. Use the wealth God's given us. So what's your vision for that which God gives you? Maybe starting a business, building a business, growing in your profession. What's your vision for the use of the wealth that God gives you as that increases? And then finally, what steps can I take to fulfill that vision? I highly recommend percentage giving. I think that's why God gave his people the concept of the tithe, of a tenth in the Old Testament. And some people may say, well, that's, that's an impossible for me. That's, that's difficult for me. Well, s- start somewhere. Start with 1%, 2%. Grow toward it. If you want to explore the whole idea of tithing and the verses sur- surrounding, we've got a little 
booklet, a little leaflet really at the resource center that you can pick up. It's just called Q&A about tithing. You can pick one up. But I, I highly recommend seeking God for what steps you can take to fulfill that vision. Would you join me now as we pray about these things? Fathers, we come in the name of Jesus. I especially want to pray for any here who have not yet embraced your salvation. That they would not be in any way misguided toward thinking that material giving is required for becoming a Christian. But rather it's a privilege for those who have received your salvation in a form of worship to you. Father, for the rest of us, Lord, we want you to teach us, we want you to shape us, we want you to change us in the ways we need to be changed. We want you to help us become good stewards. So we're not like the rich man in the parable Jesus told, but like the ones to whom you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Guide us in your wisdom, guide us in your will, guide us in your ways, in the name of Jesus. Amen.